Uh, Isaiah 55, uh, then, we'll read the whole of, of the chapter together. To everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. It shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so for us here. Uh, Isaiah 55 is a glorious uh, passage, so many beautiful truths here, and it, it opens for us with this incredible uh, picture. It describes a feast, a, a rich and luscious banquet. Right, there's wine and milk, and we're told, uh, delight yourselves in the rich and, and sumptuous food. And the banquet is especially for those who are, who are parched, who, who are thirsty, who are empty and needy and, and can't afford it at all. And the feast is fully satisfying. At the end of the end of this chapter, uh, we get a different picture, uh, a different uh, scene. The image now is of a, of a procession, a grand and in some senses even a cosmic procession. Right in verse 12, uh, you shall go out in joy. You shall be led forth in peace. And the scene is out of a, a parade, a, a victory parade of the redeemed uh, people of God from every nation uh, joined in step together 
because of the salvation of what the Lord has done, showing how he has brought them into his love and rescued them. It's a redemption that involves even the whole of creation, Uh, so much so that as this passage describes it, uh, the very hills and the mountains uh, burst out into song. Uh, and as the procession goes on, it is accompanied uh, with, this, uh, uh, with this applause, this resounding applause that emanates even from the branches of the trees, the trees clapping their hands. Right? How's that for you for, for a musical, uh, for a picture of what God's redemption looks like? Uh, that, that scene of the parade, it even, it even pictures the whole reversal of the curse. In the first few uh, chapters of the Bible, after the first sin with Adam, uh, he's, he's cursed. God's told, he's told of the punishment of God against sin. Uh, that everything that Adam goes about doing uh, will be frustrated. His plans never work out exactly the way that he wants them to. Then whatever he does, uh, there's thorns and thistles that grow up that get in the way that frustrates what he tries to do. But at the end of this passage, the thorns are gone. Uh, The briars have vanished, and in their place is an arboretum, right? The the majestic and beautiful uh, trees, the cypress and myrtle, are what's come out instead. Now, what ties these two pictures together uh, is the Word of God. It's the Word of God in both both of them. The banquet is a feasting on uh, the Word, Right, so you're told as it goes on, listen diligently to me, incline your ear, come and hear that your soul may live. And the parade is the result of the word. It's the victory of the word. God says, my word that goes out from my mouth won't return to me empty. It will succeed. It will accomplish the purposes for which I sent it. But our, our experience in the word doesn't always feel so glorious. It doesn't always feel like that rich banquet or that procession of celebration and, and parade. Sometimes I think maybe the, the metaphor maybe that comes to mind as we're, we're trying to, to get into scripture is um, it's kind of wading through um, murky waters of obscurity and going, what, what does this even mean? Why is this here? What, is, what am I supposed to do with it? Maybe more often, I think, as we approach Scripture, uh, it's with the metaphor of the, the, the one who's prospecting for gold. Right? That we kind of take it and we're pouring it through the sieve and we're, we're shaking it and trying to get rid of all the, the things that seem to us of no value and kind of useless, uh, but hoping for that one thing that is actually good or encouraging or does something for us. Which is not how Scripture would shape us to look at the Word. Listen, tedium and confusion is a, it's a common a complaint and a common experience, whether coming from outside the faith and trying to say, what's the Bible about? What is the gospel? Why does this matter to me? Uh, or for people who've been very long in the faith, coming to Scripture again, or noticing why it is that we're so slow to come to Scripture and dig into it and try to gain a life for it. Uh, so, so how is this passage then not just a false advertising? And not just just make-believe. Or or to put it this way, how do we experience uh, this banquet and this parade? So I want you to think about this morning. We're going to look at it in three different sides. Uh, The invitation, the instruction, and the impact. 
just kind of following through the passage of the invitation, the instruction, and the impact. Uh, what are you looking for as you approach Scripture? How do you hope to find it? How do we experience uh, this banquet of glory that the passage describes here? First of all, it's, it's an invitation to us. Uh, we talk sometimes about the, the free offer of the gospel, and there are a few passages in scriptures that convey that idea more fully and more beautifully than Isaiah 55 does here. A calling anyone in to benefit from what God has done. Exodus uh, echoes kind of some of the words of Jesus in the New Testament. We hear Jesus saying, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, and it's here, come to the waters. I come to Jesus. I come to the word and find uh, your life there. I think the first thing you notice about this uh, invitation as you look at it is that, that the way it's addressed is, is kind of odd. Maybe not what we expect. Usually if you're inviting people to a banquet, it's people that you, that you know, that you care about, that are influential. Maybe they're just fun to have there, uh, but, but somehow that you're connected with especially. If you, were, if you had kind of the printed out version of an invitation from Isaiah 55, and there's the, the two, and then a, and then a semicolon, you know, what does it put there? To everyone who's thirsty, uh, who, is, who is dry and craving and longing for something more that they don't have. Or then if you go to the second line of it, uh, to, to everyone who's broke, everyone who can't afford to go out to eat, everyone who can't afford uh, the banquet or to have this meal for themselves, right? He who has no money, come and enjoy the riches of the feast. In other words, if you really need it, uh, and if you really can't afford it at all, then here's the good news. You're invited. You especially are who is invited into it. I guess the, maybe the exact opposite of how most banquets are. When I think of a banquet, I think of like an awards dinner, right? Uh, the people who've, who've accomplished something, you've had a great season on your baseball team or something, or, or here you've, you've put in all these times, you're graduating, here's this, here's this banquet in honor of the things that you've done, right? Uh, those who've been successful and accomplished something or the people that are there, uh, supported them along with it. Maybe another example of a banquet is the, is the fundraiser dinner, right? The people who can very much afford it and who maybe could afford a lot more. And so let's, let's invite them and their money, and hopefully they'll want to give more out to this cause and be celebrated uh, as part of it. It's the exact opposite. That here the invitation is for people who realize uh, our deep lack and our deep longing. So see, what we can say is that we want experience the banquet if we don't realize our thirst, if we don't realize our craving for it. That's how we're supposed to approach Scripture. It's not how I often approach Scripture. It's like, okay, I should read the Bible now. Uh, and there's things that I hope to get out of it, uh, but rarely like I'm really thirsty and I need something that will feed my soul. That's how we're to come to it, craving, thirsty for it. 
Uh, right? Maybe we think, hey, I don't, I don't need water that bad, right? I've got, I've got some in my house. There's this thing called a faucet, and I can pull the lever up and put a cup under it. I can, I can drink whatever I want. I can go to Publix, and you can buy, like, a whole case of water, right? Stick them in your fridge. They get solid cold, and whenever you need it, you've got something refreshing and cold just to, to drink when you want it. Um, but we still know this other experience, right, because we live in Florida, uh, and it is impossibly uh, humid in the summer, and it doesn't matter. You go outside, and you start to feel depleted. Uh, you start to feel uh, the, 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 uh, the water, the life from it uh, going out of you. And by the, if you've been out for a little while or in the, by the afternoon or something, you're like, okay, I'm just I'm drained. Uh, I don't have what it takes to keep going. And it's like you can't catch up with it, right? Uh, it's oppressive. It hurts. Uh, And I'm not talking about how to survive uh, the heat in Florida. I'm talking about how to deal with life in a broken world. It's oppressive, and that hurts. And there's pain, pain of injustice uh, and and abuse and neglect. And and we hurt one another. Uh, And other people hurt us, and then then we do stupid things uh, to other people, and and it all piles up in this mess that we don't know what to do with. We don't know how to fix. We want it to be right. We crave for it to be right. And it's not yet. We're thirsty uh, every day that we go outside. We're thirsty every time we read the news and hear about what the world looks like. We're thirsty when we look in the mirror and think of who we want uh, to be. Uh, we're craving the banquet of God making things right. God coming in and dealing with the blame, taking it on himself, and showing love to us and a redemption that doesn't just encourage us in the moment, but brings everything to a glorious future where things are the way that there should be. And they're celebrating in peace and joy. <clears throat> the invitation asks the question, Why? Why do you spend your money on that which isn't bread? And why do you labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Because we do. Because we spend so much of our time and so much of our energy on so many other things, hoping to get something out of it. Uh, we work hard and give energy on things that don't satisfy. We, we work hard to gain approval from the people around us, don't we? Uh, and we're looking for that. And when it's not there, we start to, start to worry about that. Start, maybe we start to complain about it. Or what do we have to do in order to gain it? Oh, we spend so much energy looking for acceptance. People knowing us and liking us and encouraging us. Oh, we, we, we plot and strategize about ways to, to impress other people. Uh, from the from the things that we've we've learned or that we know that we could talk about in the next conversation to to what we're doing and how things are going at work or 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 what we just bought or what clothes we uh, have and now when we can wear that and how what kind of influence and impact uh, we make we want to impress other people. There's so much time and work that we spend in comparisons, right? And envy and jealousy. Uh, and where does it get us? 
It's not really feeding us. It's never, it's never satisfying, right? Even we aim so much at happiness, and it still just makes us crave more a real satisfaction. Uh, we've blooded ourselves on all that life has to offer, and we're still not full, the passage is saying. Uh, it, it's, like a, it's like getting a whole box of, uh, of Twinkies, and just, just gobbling down the Twinkies, right? And thinking that you're going to out of that have a nutritious meal and feel, uh, uh, feel full and energized and able to, to, to take care of things, right? Um, we're trying to stay hydrated by just drinking Coke all day, which is actually a diuretic and deprives you of the water that you need, right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. So much of our labor doesn't work. But, but the, the, the question here, the invitation asks why? Why do we do that? It's not just a rhetorical question. It's for us to look and ask and say, how, so much of my time is spent in that. Why is that? Oh, it's because we're thirsty. It's because we're craving more. Craving for things to be right. Craving for us to be recognized as right. Uh, we're all so thirsty and we're broke because we can't fix it all ourselves. We can't uh, solve our own problems and, and, and clean up our own uh, messes. The meal described here, this feast, is an expensive meal. It's, it's, it's wine. It's milk. Uh, it, is, it is rich and sumptuous food. Uh, but the cost of this meal is the cost of Jesus' own blood. It is Jesus pouring out himself, suffering for us, taking on our wrongs, taking on our iniquity, bearing the shame of it before the Father, that we can receive the banquet of his love. Heard it, heard it put this way, in terms of the cup of wrath, that Jesus drained to the dregs the cup of God's wrath so that we can drink freely from the rivers of the waters of life. If we're invited to in this invitation, that's the to, to feast on the word uh, so that every morsel is a taste of God's love that'll, that'll never go away. It's God's sure love faithfully for David, this relationship with God that can't be removed anymore. The invitation is to hear God's word and the gospel, to come to it looking for this feast. It's the invitation that meets you every time you open the Bible, uh, every time you have that opportunity in the word. And it's the open invitation that goes out to everyone that you know, that hopefully you spread and share uh, as well, because we are all thirsty. And this passage calls us uh, to come to the water that truly satisfies. So we see first the instruction, uh, and then uh, first the, the invitation, and secondly the instruction. Right after the invitation, as you see in verses 6 and 7, uh, there, there's the instruction. It's the, in, in the center of the chapter, uh, it calls us to action. Verse 6 and 7, you see these, uh, these verbs, these imperatives, these commands for how we're to respond. Right, sometimes, uh, usually, an invitation will have uh, directions uh, with it. It's at least going to tell you uh, when it's going to take place. Uh, maybe it has an address in it so you know uh, how to get there. Uh, and usually, there's at least some kind of RSVP, right? 
Uh, here's the email address or phone number or the websites you're supposed to go to. And here's what the center of this chapter is telling us uh, how we respond to the invitation. What are we supposed to do with it? How do we accept the invitation uh, and come to it? Now, there's two aspects of response that you see uh, in a couple of these verbs here. Uh, first, seek, and then forsake. Right, that we are to seek the Lord while he may be found. To come freely. Now is the time of salvation. Let's also let the wicked person forsake his ways. Right, because we can't uh, come to the Lord with also, without also leaving behind uh, our, our selfishness uh, and our sin and all the things that we want to give our life to that we think will reinforce us. Call us away from that to seek the Lord. So that both of those are really summed up uh, in, the, in, the, in the last verb that you see in verse 7. Return. So return uh, to the Lord. Repentance maybe is the word we often use. Um, so, the, so the instruction, I think this is why we have a, this is why I have a hard time coming to the word. Why I find myself not reading it as much as I thought I would or thought I should or, or getting as much out of it. Uh, because how you respond to the invitation is always a return uh, to the Lord. It's always telling you, stop going the wrong way again. And turn around and come back to me. And know my love surrounding you. Trust the work that I've done to, to secure all, that I, all the situations I've placed you in. See, we, we miss out on the feast uh, when, we're, when we're unwilling to put on the brake uh, and do the U-turn. Uh, when we don't want an invitation that tells us, wait, wait, go the other way, come back. We want the invitation that says, good job, keep going. God's word encourages us, but it's always telling us, come back to the Lord, to return to him, to seek the Lord. And it's not that it's some like a hard game of hide and seek. And can you can you find God? And if if you're not a Christian, I understand like it can be it can be difficult as you think that you are trying to understand what this is about. You're seeking the Lord. You want to find him and know where he is. And I get that that can feel difficult. But here the pastor says he's he's not far from us. Seek the Lord while he is, is near. And sometimes what makes that so hard in that seeking is, is it admitting that we've been hiding from him, that we've been keeping ourselves uh, somewhat removed. We're not sure of all those things of what it would be like to find him. But then you also have in this passage the beauty of how easy it is. Uh, there is not something that you have to do first. There's not something that you have to get right in order to be accepted, right? Just like the invitation, you have to be empty and needy and know it. I hear it just says, call out. Call out on the Lord. Ask. Call to the Lord. Express the need for him to find you if you can't find him. And watch and see how God wraps his arms around you. And draws you into, the, into his love, saying that my son is enough for you, and you are my child along with him. Maybe it's not a whole lot different, even for, for seasoned Christians uh, seeking the Lord, uh, what, that, what that looks like. We're not always uh, seeking the Lord, even when we're in the means of grace, even when we're spending time in the word, but it's well, we were supposed to do this, or because I do value this, or but my day's also busy, and we're wondering what we're doing in it. Uh, uh, but it's difficult 
It's difficult to be close to one who's so holy. That's Isaiah's experience, right? Isaiah 6, uh, he's caught up in this vision before the heavenly throne room, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, and Isaiah is undone. That's, that's where we come in seeking the Lord, is going into that presence where we will be undone, but that we would also be pardoned and brought in and loved. If it's so simple and true for the one outside the faith to come in, how much more for the one who already, uh, his name is known by the Father as his child, to be welcomed into his arms, receiving you and caring for you as you look to him for help again. See, it says to the wicked man, I forsake his ways. and, our, uh, and, and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, there's always this repentance uh, to it. It always goes into seeing even where we're off. And it even speaks not just about our outward actions, but even, even our thoughts, right? Because our, our brain, my brain runs so much more quickly uh, than maybe my words will. And maybe I can constrain what I'll, what I'll do or what I'll show you uh, that I'll do. But our brains run so quickly uh, to greed, uh, to deceit, uh, <clears throat> to, to lust. To, to, to contempt and looking down on other people and taking a pride in ourselves and on and on. And God wants more than just the outward conformity, but for our whole selves to return back to him, that he would guide us, that he would show us the way, that he would remake us in the image of Jesus. The instruction for how to accept the invitation uh, is repentance. A lot of times that's the last thing we're looking for because that's hard. If you have to respond to the RSVP, right? I'm, uh, I'm notoriously bad about responding well to the RSVP. Uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm noncommittal by nature, and I tend to be quite the procrastinator. And I'm also forgetful about things. Uh, so half the time, if I was the one who was supposed to reply to the RSVP, it's after the date has passed and I finally find where it was again and look at it and I'm like, ooh, right? And it takes some of the fun out of just saying, hey, we're coming and we're really looking forward to it. Thanks for inviting us, right? Because you have to come with a little bit of repentance. It's like, sorry, I <laughs> know you probably already have the guest list set and uh, but I have this invitation. I meant to respond a while ago, and I haven't. We'd still love to come. What do we do with that, right? That's the kind of invitation that this is. That's the kind of invitation, some kind of instruction that the Word gives you. The RSVP uh, to the free offer of the gospel looks like admitting that we didn't deserve that invitation and that we've actually been ignoring it for a while and not really wanted to come to the banquet. But now we realize that we need it. And we realize that we're lost without it. And so asking, yes, can I come and be led into this feast of what Jesus has done and not me? And we see uh, where that instruction leads. It's not to the, to the stern, well, you know, you were supposed to call a week ago uh, and get back to these things. But where is it? God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They don't run to the wickedness that that our our minds run to. But where do they also run? They run to compassion. 
That God's thoughts run to forgiveness and to loving the sinner that he's drawn back to himself. They run through the whole plan of redemption, sending Jesus into the world where he would be scorned and abused and mocked and finally tried and hung up on a cross and executed. Because God's thought runs to our salvation, runs to bringing us into his love. The way the passage says it, my thoughts are not uh, your thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. What? That the Lord may have compassion upon him. Come back to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. More than we expected was possible. It's that cleansing of sin wiped away. The invitation, uh, the instruction, and finally the, the impact. You can't really overstate the impact of this invitation and instruction, the the incredible uh, result that it has. Back in the beginning in verse 3, you have it mentioned as this everlasting covenant. And at the end in verse 13, it's it's an everlasting sign. It has an impact now in the immediate present. And it's one that goes on and on to eternity, even of ultimate destiny. Because it's an everlasting covenant. It's a drawing us in to relationship with God where he will never let you go, where he will never let anything else come between you, but he will constantly pull you back and nourish you and feed you with his son and march you forward as the one who loves him and goes by his name and calls out his name to others. Maybe the best thing to describe the impact is just to encourage you to to experience it or to experience it again. All right, to seek the Lord, to return to him, to call out uh, to him, uh, to seek God in the word uh, and let him wow you again. Open it up as you're thirsty and look and see how he calls you back to himself. We could also... um, Reminisce, though, a lot of times about the great experiences that we've had. Uh, And there's something about that reminiscing that makes us want to experience it again. It makes us long for more. So here uh, with this impact, right, for some of you, it's going back to remembering when you were first converted. Uh, And this joy that took over you, it was not like anything else that you had known before that. The things just, the world seems brighter, like a veil's been lifted over things. Or when inside your heart there was always this, this fighting and this turmoil of am I enough and who are these things? And now there's this peace of realizing God is real and he knows me and he loves me. Right? And it's, it's not just that first moment of conversion. It's all the things uh, in between as God continues to bring spiritual uh, growth in your life uh, through the word. What he's always uh, doing uh, through the word. So this passage uses the metaphor of uh, the image of spring. It's what, what scripture uh, looks like, what it produces in you. When you look out and you see the grass uh, turning green, you see the shoots of green starting to, starting to grow up in the flower bed, uh, the buds and the flowers on the trees. That's like what God does through his word, uh, giving new life and new growth. He says, as the, as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and, and waters the earth and makes it grow, 
brings increase, the, the sprout and the things growing from it. And he says that it, it brings that increase both for the sower and for the eater, right? Both for our present need right now to consume something that satisfies and the seed for that to be sown for the future. It deals with us now and all uh, that's coming. Uh, God's word brings life and growth and blessing as the truth of Jesus is made known. And that impact goes on and on and on. We're invited to come back for it again and again. What do you expect when you sit down uh, with the Bible? Uh, when you open it up uh, to hear from it, what are you, what are you looking for? Listen, banquets can be great uh, and enjoyable, but, uh, but also they often feel like just one more thing that you have to attend. Where is that going to fit in the schedule? Uh, the parade, uh, like, like the parade at the winter, Tallahassee's Winter Festival, such a fun part of the celebration. Uh, and it's also one that I don't really mind if I, if I skip out on so we can get the kids down for bed a little bit earlier. But this feast, uh, this uh, procession, is one you don't want to miss out on. And that you don't have to because the free offer of the gospel comes to you. This is a banquet with God himself where you get to be a guest of honor because of what Jesus has done, feasting on the richness of his table. And every opportunity with, a word, with the word is even a foretaste of the great banquet that scripture would describe as the wedding feast of the Lamb. We should let that shape the way we hear the word, the way we approach a scripture. The parade here looks to the, looks to the final victory of Jesus bringing his own into glory with him. And this victory, this blessing of new creation begins with the simple word of God inclining your ear to hear the word that goes out uh, from his mouth, uh, succeeds in his purpose, inviting you again and again uh, closer in to Jesus. To everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 